0: During our time in the scripture, we've been going through the book of Revelation. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn there to Revelation chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible and you need a Bible, you right now can find one in your pew that you can open to. We'll have the scripture up here on the back. But also, if you need a Bible for your own, you're welcome to grab one of the ones on the back table in the foyer and take it home with you. It's yours to keep. We want to make sure everybody has a Bible. I want to thank everybody again who's been given to that Bible fund. I know we need to get some more because they've been going fast, especially through the holidays. But we'll just keep buying more because the Lord has told us to give His word away. And so we'll keep doing that. But if you have your Bible, please turn to Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. At this part in Revelation, John has been getting this vision. And as he gets this vision, he's to be writing things down. And at this time, there's going to be letters that are sent to seven churches that are in modern day Turkey. And so we've been going through the letters to these churches. And The Scripture makes clear that if you have ears to hear, then you also are to be listening to the things that Jesus is telling these churches because they're important for you to hear. They're important for me to hear because they have not only consequence for those churches back in the first century, they also have consequences for our church and ourselves here and today. So let us pay attention to what Jesus is saying to these churches. Today we're going to focus on a letter that was sent to a church in a town named Thyatira. And so uh, if we would go to verse 18 and see what the Lord has to say, it says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. In each one of these letters, Jesus starts out not by just going into the meat of what he has to say, but first saying, hey, I have a right. I have authority to say these things to you. And so he starts out this letter to Thyatira saying, hey, I'm the son of God, which would have been important important to the church at Thyatira because the town that they lived in of Thyatira, there was a huge cult worship of the God Apollo. And Apollo was this God who was the son of Zeus, who was thought to be the greatest God. And so there in this town, they worshiped what some assumed was the son of God, Apollo. And Jesus steps up and says, "Uh, uh, uh, it's not Apollo who's the son of God. I'm the Son of God. Jesus, throughout His ministry, would tell the Jews, I'm the Son of God. And in announcing that He's Son of God, was saying that He had the essence of God, that He was God. And in that power, He went and defeated death on the cross and rose from the grave to show His defeat of death. And then he went on to start the church and to write these letters saying, hey, I've proved that I have the Son of God. You can't trust Apollo and you can't trust Zeus. You can trust Jesus Christ. And the things that I'm about to say to you, you can trust because I'm the Son of God. I know. I know. And he goes on and says that he has eyes of fire. We have that description in chapter 1. If, if you had somebody with eyes of fire, there's somebody to be taken seriously. There's sometimes when my wife looks at me and she's got eyes of fire. <laughs> Husbands, is that a time to pay attention to what your wife's going to say? Yes. Okay. And Jesus as well. When, when, when Jesus has eyes of fire, it's not just like he's angry. It just means that he's intense. But also if the fire is symbolic of a refining work that he can actually look in and he knows what he's seeing. He's, he's, he's not blind. He's, he's not just saying things absent-minded. He sees exactly what's going on. He's intense and he has a vision. He's going to tell you exactly what he sees. His eyes are good and true, and he's coming with a, a powerful word. So he has eyes of fire. And then it says he has feet like burnished bronze. I didn't know what that meant for a long time until I talked to my uncle who was in construction. He was talking about the way that they would burnish concrete floors and how you could take a concrete floor and kind of burnish it up. And what happens is that concrete gets stronger. Not only does it have a nice polished look, but it actually causes it to be stronger and withstand things. So Jesus is saying these burnished bronze feet, they're tough. He's, he's got a strength in them. He's coming with strength. He's coming with intensity. He's coming as the son of God to deliver these words to the church at Thyatira. So you better pay attention. That's what he's saying to them. Sit up in your seat. I'm about to talk. So if you're slouching right now, you better sit up. Just this is what he says to them and this is what we should hear as well. It says in verse 19, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works Exceeded the first. So he comes and he speaks to them something that's good. He says, I see your works with these eyes of fire. I can see what's going on. I know exactly what's going on in you. And I know that you've got this love and this faith. He talks about their service and his, their patient endurance. He knows that springing out of their faith is this good stuff that he sees. And what he says is, not only did you start these works, but it keeps growing in these works. Your works are exceeding even what they did. That's good. You're growing in your faith and it's coming out in your actions. It's good to grow. You know why? Because the scripture says if you're not growing in your faith and if that's not coming out, then you're actually dying. There's only two ways to go. Either you can grow in your faith or you can be dying in your faith. If you think you're just sitting still and floating in your faith, you're actually dying. You can't float. In Hebrews it says if you're floating, you're actually just drifting farther away. You're not paying attention, careful attention to Jesus. So, so John writes to them. Jesus is speaking to them, saying, I see that you're growing in your faith. Growth is good. I remember when Katie was pregnant for the first time with Elijah. And, and as we went in to get our first ultrasound, it was just amazing to me that the ultrasound technician could look at that all those squiggly lines on that screen and can not only tell things that the baby had a head and that the baby had a rear end. And, you know, all the I'm like, what are you seeing? It just looks like a rat race to me. I don't, I don't know what's going on. But then she began doing this thing where she would, she would take her, her, her device and she would be able to measure how long the legs were or how big the head was. And the thing was, she could go that day and measure how big they are. But if we went in you know, a month later and two months later, and if she went in to go measure that baby again, what would you want to see on that screen? Even though I can't make it out, you want the person who can actually see that who can actually make sense of what they see on that screen, and they take the measurements, do you want those measurements to be the same? No. You want growth in that baby. That's that's a healthy sign. That's a healthy sign. The same is true for your faith. If God, with his spiritual ultrasound, could come and look at your heart to us, it's like, oh, I don't know, it just looks like a mess. If God can look at your heart and say, hey, This is where you started, but now as I look in, I see your growth. You're actually trusting me more. You're actually uh, praying to me more. Not that you have to check off a list. It just shows that you're trusting him more. I see that your works are exceeding what you did at the first. That's good. That's healthy. If it stayed the same or if it's shrinking, then it's dying. Your faith is going away. So he tells them, hey, I see that your faith is growing. That's good. You want to be growing or else you're dying. You want to be growing or else you're dying. Then he goes on in verse 20, and says, but I have this against you. Uh-oh, put on your seatbelts. I have this against you. That you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So here he addresses a certain woman. We don't know whether that woman is actually inside the church or is somebody who's kind of outside the church but pestering the church on the inside. And he gives her a name. I don't think it's her real name. It's actually drawing upon an Old Testament figure. There was a king named King Ahab. He married a very wicked woman whose name was Jezebel. She was the daughter of a, of a, of a foreign king. Well, not only did she get married into the Israelite king's family, but she brought all of her foreign god worship with her she was an idol worshiper worshiping baal and so king ahab began to worship baal and began uh, building things that would help all the other people of israel worship baal and not only was this woman trying to get other people to worship baal she was so wicked she began to kill all the prophets of god she was very wicked and eventually she died a gruesome death because god just wouldn't stand for it anymore And so here, John is writing and saying, there's a wicked woman somewhere in your midst. Either she's a part of the church or she's outside the church affecting the church, and she's doing that. It's obvious that it's wicked. She's getting people to commit sexual immorality, and I don't know whether that was actual sexual sin, which is not good. If there's any sexual sin, it should not be a part of the church and people. That's not how God wants it. He made sex. He made it for a certain place with a certain person at a certain time for a certain function. That's why he made it. Leave it there. Don't think you know better than God and think that we can get away with it over here. Or we can get away with it doing it like this. Or I can get away with it in my mind. No, God made it for a certain reason, for a certain purpose. And then any time we go perverted with that, then we're committing sexual immorality. And it's not for God's people. It's not healthy. It's not good for you. It's not good for your relationships. It's not good for you and God. So he says, don't commit sexual immorality. And we we know that on a very physical level, relational, spiritual level. But also, a lot of times in Scripture, it relates to sexual immorality, not just what we would consider, hey, sleeping around or something like that. He oftentimes draws into that an allusion to any type of adultery you might do in your heart against God. So if you are cheating on God in any way, you might think, well, I can get away with it. It's not hurting me. It's not hurting anybody else. And I can just kind of keep it over here and kind of have it as part of my life. It doesn't work. You're cheating on God. That's sexual immorality. And so I don't know whether this Jezebel was causing actual, literal sexual immorality. It might have been because there was a lot of cult worships at that day that where you would not only go to the temple to bring sacrifice, we'd actually go there and there were temple prostitutes. That was all part of the worship. And some of that may have been coming into the church saying, hey, God wants you to do these things. Nuh-uh. Any day, anybody does that to you in the church, you run away. <clears throat> Kids, don't let anybody tell you that anything here at the church should be naughty with your bodies, okay? If anybody comes to you and is trying to do something to you in your body that is not comfortable, not right, you you come and get me right away, okay? You come and get one of these other adults that you trust, and you tell them that something's going on in this church that's not right, Okay? Because that's not what God wants. He wants to protect your body. He wants you to be whole. And He loves you so much. So if anything's going on, it better not be happening in this church. And it it hopefully is not happening to you. You come and talk to me right away, okay? And then spiritually, that should not be going on as well. And here's this woman kind of abusing the church. And this happens in churches, whether it's literal, physical, sexual things, or whether it's just bringing in parts of the world and saying, you can cheat on God with this part of the world. It's okay. It's not going to hurt. No, it will hurt. It's dragging people towards death. And as well, it says, and she's tempting people to make sacrifices to idols. Now, we know in the scripture that Paul tells the church in Corinth, you know, don't worry about it if the food's been sacrificed to idols. It's okay for you to eat it. Well, then what's this talking about? Watch out for food being sacrificed to idols. It means that they were actually believing that the food sacrificed to idols was helping their food in any way. Or that by sacrificing it to idols, that idol would be helping them too. It's like saying, I trust in Jesus, but just in case, I'm also going to trust in this little God over here. Let me sacrifice some food for it. We're not to fear sacrificing to idols, but we're not to follow it either. You might say, well, why are we talking about sacrificing to idols? I don't remember the last time I sacrificed my Big Mac to an idol. Okay, We, don't, we may not suffer with sacrificing to literal statue idols. But this falls into the category I'm going to call superstition. And let me tell you, I've heard enough superstitions here in the South to last me a lifetime. Some people will say the most crazy things about, well, if I do this or this, then this is going to happen. If I don't do this and this, then this is going to happen. We are not to fear superstitions. We are not to follow them. Superstitions. Actually, I need to pause for a moment because I just remembered something. Brother Tim, these are for you. I forgot, you know, I just looked out and I saw Tim and I remembered. I'd heard this thing that if somebody gives you a knife, if somebody gives you a knife, you're supposed to give them a coin or else your relationship will be severed. So, I mean, I saw Tim, and I thought, oh, my God, he's giving me two knives. I better go out and give him a couple coins, or there's going to be a relational separation. I don't want that. I love Tim. I, don't want, I want he and I to be in, 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 at odds with each other in a relationship. You see, that's silly. We all laugh at that because we think well, Jason's an idiot. Um, that's why we laugh. But we laugh at those things because how, how could coins somehow affect the relationship between me? He gave me a gift because he loves me. He gave me a gift because he thought I could handle a life. Now, I don't know that I can, but he's... <laughs> and I love, I love my relationship. Why would I think paying him some coins is going to keep our relationship together? And I, I hope that that didn't do it because if we have that relationship, issue, we need to take care of that, Mr. Tim. See, but there are those things in life where we think, if I don't do this, And I know right now some of you are thinking, my mom used to always say that i got to do this or this to make this outcome happen. Huh? Huh? It happens all the time. Don't fear those things. Don't fear those things. Here it says Jezebel was coming to the church and getting them to fear the fact that they hadn't sacrificed things to idol. We laugh at that. But how many of you have been fearing the things that your moms and dads and aunts and uncles and just the South or America or the world have said, if you do these things, it will somehow spiritually manipulate the situation to make things better for you or to keep bad things from you. Don't worry about those things. You know why? Jesus is the Son of God. He is in control of all things. So if you want to trust something and be fearful of something, Trust him and be fearful of him. He'll take care of life. You don't need anybody to wrestle you into weird spiritual beliefs. Just trust Jesus. I want my money back, too. (laughs) Now there's a relationship issue. So that's happened. She's been doing this thing. The problem was not just this Jezbo. The big problem with the church was that they were tolerating it. They were were allowing that to come in. So if that's coming, we as a church are to not tolerate. We're not to allow and 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 allow that. We're to prevent it. Or to prevent it. So when that stuff comes, when you notice that that's causing problems, it says here, behold, verse 22, I'll throw her onto a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her I'll throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. A lot of times children is used not as literal children, but as disciples, those who are following her, those who are committing it with her, those who are involved in accepting her teaching and tolerating those. It says that I will strike them dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. So he's serious about this. He doesn't want those things coming in and polluting his church. Why? Because he loves you so much. He loves you so much. If I have somebody that I love so much. Like I could take my kids and say, I love them so much. Why would I tolerate And why would I not prevent anything that might come into our house and somehow endanger their lives? Wouldn't I do anything in my power to thwart that? Yes, I would. And it's got to be careful. You've got to be careful. One of the hardest things I've had to do as pastor since I've been here at Unity Church is when I knew I was going to go away with my family to Seattle and there was going to be one Sunday where I wasn't here to preach. Do you know how stressed I was about getting somebody to preach here? Why? Because you can get anybody to come up here probably and get a microphone to talk. But as a pastor, you don't want somebody to come in who's going to abuse the sheep. Amen. So I pray to the Lord, Lord, would you bring the right person? Who would not come in and then bring in perversion. And that, you know, I'm not talking about what we talk about sexual... Just spiritual superstitions and talking about works or talking about nonsense. Lord, would you bring the one who would bring the gospel? And I was so happy that I could get on a plane and trust that the Lord had a man who was going to come and speak. And that might be somebody else. But man, you don't want to invite into the presence of the people that you care for things that are going to hurt them. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's like, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to root this out. I'm going to get rid of her. I'm going to get rid of her children. I'll get rid of it if you're not going to repent. Got to get rid of it. Verse 24 goes on and says, But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. He's saying, hunker down. Be steadfast. Keep your eyes on me. I'm not going to make you do it. You're doing great. You haven't bought into it. Her her lies, just keep your eyes on me. And then he says this, verse 26. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earth and pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So at the end of these letters, he always talks about, here's what I see, here's what you need to repent of, here's what's going well. And then he kind of closes it down with some encouragement by saying, to the one who conquers, which in the scripture means, to those who believed in me and through me are are going through life. You trust me. You are overcoming because of my blood in your life. To you, he makes promises. And here he says that, that you would have a rod of iron and have authority over the nations and this and that. And to me, that's kind of... Humbling, Because when you see that description later on in Revelation, Jesus is the one who's described as having the rod of iron and destroying the nations and having authority and ruling and this and that. And that's humbling to me because this is why. The king would grant an opportunity to those who love him. A place to work in his kingdom. A place to work. Some of you, I love talking to you and you say, I love to work. I just, I just love getting into it. I love it. And you look at somebody who might be lazy and say, hey, we've been given such a good privilege in this, in this country to work. Why would you not want to work? The same is true for the kingdom of God. Why would you not want to work for the king? Why would you not want to do what he's asked you to do and then look at his face and see him being pleased with you? Wouldn't you want that? Amen. Amen. And there will come a day that those who conquer, he's going to give the opportunity for you to have responsibilities. The scripture actually says that for those who are part of God's family, that we will be the ones who help judge the nations. We will help judge the angels, it says. And he will give these opportunities to those who are part of his people. So I can't wait because if we're part of him, he's going to give you good things to do. You're going to be used by God for all of eternity with whatever he's going to do with all of eternity. You're going to be a part of that. But then he says this, and this is a good word for many of you who are struggling today. Because many of you who are struggling today, literally you don't want to see tomorrow. Yesterday was bad. The day before it was that. Bad, 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 bad. It just seems like it's bad. Or it's been getting worse and getting worse. And you're like, I don't, I don't know if I can do this anymore. When Jesus comes back, it's going to be good. No more pain. No more suffering. No more crying. No more death. That is going to be the day that we want to get to. And so here it says, to the one who conquers, he also says in that, I will give him the morning star. The morning star is that one when you get up in the morning at the break of dawn, you can look at it, and there's still that star there. You know what that star means? I made it to tomorrow. That means you still have life. That means you still have breath. That means you're still going. On the day that Jesus comes, Jesus is actually the morning star. And on the day that He comes, you'll have made it to tomorrow. You'll have gone from this age into the next age, and you'll have made it from life to life. You will have gone through all the tribulations. You'll have gone through all the pain and all the suffering and all the death. And even though today you might not want to get to tomorrow, you will go from this age and you will go to that age. And you will be with Jesus, and that's a good thing. I know some of you are struggling. Let that be a good word to you today that there is a day coming. When there will be a tomorrow that you want to be in. It's going to be a good tomorrow. That's the one you're living for. It's going to be a good tomorrow. Jesus made that possible. You know, Jesus isn't just writing these letters because one day he's like, well, I got some extra stationery. I got some churches out there who just need a letter. He wrote down and these things and threw them off. He's writing these things because he loves these people. And he's letting us read it because he loves you. And we know that Jesus loves us because he's not just a pen pal. We know that he loves us because he just doesn't have conversations with us. But the scripture says he's loved us this much. That he was sent. And that he took on flesh and blood. And that for all the times that you have been sexually immoral and all the times that you have believed superstitiously in something else to give power or blessing into your life and all the times that you have ignored him and all the times that you've given yourself over to the things of the world and all the times you have clicked that thing on Facebook that says, if you send it to 10 other people, you're going to be blessed. That is a lie and you have sinned against Him all those times, and you have this mounting problem, this burden of sin, which with all that sin on you, you have nothing that is owed to you except for death and eternal punishment. But because He loves you, He takes all that garbage and all that ridiculousness and all those things that you have done against Him and all that sin in your He takes all that and He threw it onto Himself on the cross. You deserved that cross. But Jesus says, you know how much I love you? I took your cross for you. I took your punishment for you. I took the wrath of God for you. I took the judgment for you. And now I stand here today that I love you too much to let you keep sinning in those things. I love you too much. I want you to keep growing. (laughs) I want you to have hope in the tomorrow that's coming, the morning star. I want you to know that I will never leave you or forsake you. I want you to know that I don't like people coming into my church and abusing them. I want you to know that I want you to stay pure. That's the best thing for you. I want you to know how much I love you. And it all starts with recognizing that He loved you so much to pay the price on the cross for you. If you question it all today, that God Almighty loves you, if you have any question that He might not be looking down your circumstance and paying any attention, then know that He's done every little thing that it took to put the perfect sacrifice on the cross Himself for you. And then you remember how much He loves you. He paid with His blood to set you free. Now live in freedom. And so today, if you sit there and say, I, I actually don't feel like I'm living in freedom. I feel bound up. I feel like there's just sin that I can't get away from. I'm given over to things of the world. I'm sexually immoral. There's just, there's just all these things. Jesus loves you too much to let those things just keep being a cancer to you. Are you going to tolerate those things? I hear it all the time in the church. Somebody will say, well, I got a sinus infection. And I haven't heard one person say, well, I'm just going to tolerate this sinus infection. I'm just going to try to get through with it. No, why? That infection will kill you. Infection kills. And in the same way, you would have an infection in your body. Say, so, I'm not going to tolerate I'm going to go to the doctor and have him give me something that's going to get rid of it. You have to go with that same expediency to God and say, you have shown me that there's an infection in my heart. There's a cancer that's there and I'm not just going to tolerate it. Lord, I need your help to get rid of it. Amen. Lord, I've been struggling. Lord, I have doubts. Lord, I don't know what you mean. Lord, I have sin. Lord, I have burden. Don't tolerate staying in those places. Go to him and say, Lord... I need forgiveness. Lord, I need strength. Lord, I need your fellowship and your friendship. Lord, I need a job. Lord, I need a new job. Now, don't say, Lord, I need a new wife. You say, Lord, help me work things out with my wife. Let me Help me to figure out how to be a husband. Let me figure out how to be a brother, how to be a friend, how to serve the community. Let's go to Him and not tolerate the things of sin and laziness and superstition in our life. Let's go to Him and say, Get rid of those things and then tell us what to do. Show us how to grow in our faith. Remind us how much you love us, Lord. Father, we come to you and we thank you for these little glimpses we have into the churches. We know that the words that you gave them aren't just for them, but they're for us as well. And so, Lord, as you've come and maybe for individuals in here, you have shown them in their own hearts, maybe things where they have been superstitious or maybe ways that they have Uh, adulterated themselves to something of the world or their own pleasures and desires. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of our sin. And that as you told that church to repent, repent or they will die, that we would also take it seriously, that we are to repent or we're going to die. Lord, help us today to repent, to ask your forgiveness. And to live in your purity, your freedom. Lord, as well for all the struggle and burden that someone might come and bring to you and say, I I don't know that I can make it. Lord, I pray that you give them that hope that you're with them today and you're going to be with them every day until the day that you give them the morning star, that that tomorrow. They're going to make it. They're going to make it. We're so thankful that you have done what you've done. That you so loved us that you paid the price on the cross and shed your blood. Not so that we can have a one-time experience of You setting us free, but so that we might have a, a daily life of devotion to You, filled with Your Holy Spirit and walking in light. And so, Lord, we pray that You would help us to not tolerate sin. If there's anything in us that's sinful, Lord, I pray that You would come and root that out. If there's anything sinful among us, Lord, we pray that You would root that out. If there's anything that's having influence on our church from the outside that's causing us to tolerate sin, Lord, we pray that you would also rid us of that. Help us to be aware of what you see, Lord. I thank you for my friends here. I pray you'll be with each one of them in a special way. We pray this in Christ's name.